Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. We're the host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here. Other half of the podcast. Dude, what a game. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, uh, Stanley Cup game one. It was a back and forth game. I went to OT and uh, the Colorado uh, came out on top. Uh, They won that game by the score of four to three. I mean, I don't know if I'd put put it up there as an instant classic, but we were talking about it. We were texting each other before the uh, game ended. And we were saying, like, this is a good game. Uh, but Colorado got the uh, the OT winner pretty quick within like a minute and a half or so uh, since the OT started. So, uh, you know, obviously we'll dive into that game a little bit more in a couple minutes. But uh, Kev, just what's good, my guy? What you been up to? Dude, to be honest with you, it's just kind of been a work and nothing else kind of a couple days. It's legit. I don't think I've driven my car since Sunday and it's about to be Thursday. Like I just... I work till six almost every day. I chill with the pup. I watch some TV, maybe get a nap in here and there if I'm tired. But, dude, it's kind of, it's low-key been a little bit boring. So I'm hoping tomorrow go make some uh, some dinner with the missus at her, her parents' house. And then Friday, I think she's got some family coming in town or something. So just get me out the house because, bro, your boy is trying to save. But your boy is bored. Yeah, you sound like a homebody right now. I got to be, bro. I had to cancel our Yankees trip because I'm trying to put money aside, man. It's kind of getting ridiculous, you know, between bills, insurance, doctor's appointments like I scheduled. Dude, it's nuts. I actually replaced the Yankee game with like six doctor's appointments. I got to go to like the dentist, the eye doctor, the the physician doctor. Got to get blood work, a dermatologist, neurologist. (laughs) You got a lot of stuff going on there, but at least you keep yourself busy a little bit, so. I mean, I have to, dude. I haven't, I haven't gotten a full exam, like in terms of all those things, in five plus years. I haven't got my eyes checked legit since I was like, I don't even know, like twenty second birthday, some shit like that. Like right after we came back from Miami, I had to go to the eye doctor. That was it. I think the last time that I went to an eye doctor appointment, bro, I think I was in high school. My eyes are getting worse, bro. I stare at monitors all day for the last I, like three, four years. Yeah, no, I, I got a freaking, I got a ring light right here. I got this big ass screen that's right in front of me. I've got all these different lights that are around me, so my eyes are going to be shot by the time I hit 50, so. 100%, but, you know, I had the uh, best eyes out of my immediate family, and now it's like I'm starting to squint at certain things, and I'm like, yep, I think I probably need glasses. That's why when I'm outside, bro, I always wear sunglasses. I I hate squinting when I'm outside all day, because especially, like, when it's super sunny outside, I have to squint to be able to kind of, like, see well just because the sun's that bright, but, bro, it's Florida. What you going to do? Hey, we finna be 30, bro. It's all right. I mean, shit, today is the month away for my damn 28th birthday, so. We, we, Getting we there, got, Pop. Yeah, we, we got a little bit more time, so. Trust me, we're probably going to do a whole lead up, like, the week of your birthday or probably something like that when you turn. Bro, you getting close. You getting I, don't close. Even know what, I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing. I wanted to do something. We wanted to go. Look, so I love otters. And Orlando, like um... 
Orlando offers this uh, thing where you could swim with otters, like an event or some shit like that. But we realized, check this out. It makes no sense. In season, it's like $80 per person to participate in the event. Out of season, it's 250 per person. Usually, in season is more expensive. Why in the hell would you charge me more when there's nobody here? Well, I'm assuming it means that there's probably a higher number of people coming in so that they could, they could probably drop the price because the demand is so high. Maybe, but, but obviously that got nixed because I don't got 250 to just go do the otter event for like an hour or two. And that's not including gas is a whole nother expense now that you got to talk about with vacation, oh, hotel, yeah. food, Disney trip. Like the amount of shit you have to do is ridiculous. Oh, I trust me. I, I know, bro. Things are getting expensive. Things have been expensive, yeah. but and we make it more money now. That's the best part. The older we get, the more money we get. The more money we make, the more expensive life gets. It's like, bro, can we, can we go back to when shoes were like a buck fifty? Like now, shit's talking about two hundred fifty dollars for release day. Come on, man. Oh, those one fifty days are over, bro. Those I days know, have been over. Since, they've been over since like ten years ago. I know, but anyway, that's what's going on with me. What about you, bro? I know you've been busy as hell too. Yeah, bro. I mean, just just busy working. Um, you know, trying to just keep everything together. I, I got my, uh, well, I got my renewal, um, from my apartment complex the other day. So I got my renewal letter and I saw my, my rent went up like 45%. 45%? Yeah. So. You moving out? <laughs> uh, I'm looking. I'm looking right now. Jesus, so I, I, mother I, of God. Yeah. So, so, so I mean, I, you know, I, I pretty much pay around just under 1100. Like when you kind of include like water and utilities, I pay somewhere basically around 1100. Yeah. That, that number would probably go up to like the high 14s, maybe. So, but and the thing is, bro, like I've been looking at one bedroom apartments around Tampa. It's all the same. It, like it, there's nothing that I can find where it's like in like the the twelves or the thirteen. Everything's like fourteen and up. So I have to bite the bullet on this one, bro. Just saying, I might I, I might have to. I, I knew it was coming though. I knew. It was oh, we coming. all knew. So it's just when I saw that renewal letter the other day, I was like, God damn, it's gonna be it's gonna be pricey. But the, but the expenses part. I can cover that. It's not gonna be the issue, but it's just like damn. Dude. Adulting is fun, bro. It, it's uh, it's a great time. Yeah, bro. So, not on top of that, I got some stuff that's gonna be going on during the summertime. I'm gonna be busy this summer too. So, yeah, bro, you these, lying. bro the, the money's just gonna be flying out. I'm telling you that right now. Oh, you're not wrong. But uh, I I think we spent enough time talking about us. I think we gotta t- dive into some of these topics though. Ready to get to more it. than likely. We tend to babble a little bit, a little bit more than usual today, but yeah, something different. Yeah, so like Kevin and I said at the top, uh, we'll dive into that game one Stanley Cup game between the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning. A uh, solid game back and forth. Uh, the Avalanche win game one in overtime. And after that, we'll transition to the NBA Finals. We are going into game six of the matchup between the Warriors and the Celtics. Celtics will be playing at home. They are down 3-2 in the series. So the Celtics could be looking at a situation where they're trying to extend the series to seven games. Golden State is looking at an opportunity to close this out on the road to be NBA champions 
once again. After that, uh, we'll dive into a segment about Steph Curry. Uh, Shaq was making some comments the other day on First Take where he was of the mindset that Steph Curry is arguably already a top 10 player of all time. Um, if Golden State were to win another championship this season, on top of that, I would imagine that would improve his stature quite tremendously. Uh, we'll dive into that segment a little bit later. And then after that, we'll keep uh, the topics rolling in the NBA. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks are getting involved in the offseason already. They traded for Christian Wood from the Houston Rockets on Wednesday. So they're already going uh, pretty hardcore into the offseason already. So they do get a little better uh, rim protection. Christian Wood is 6'11", so Dallas could probably use that going forward. So I know Kev will have a lot to say about that since the Mavericks are his team. So that's pretty much that we have for the agenda. We might make a mention of uh, Mika Fitzpatrick uh, getting a pretty solid deal, resigning with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I believe it was like a four-year deal upwards of like $75 million. I don't have the exact uh, figure off the top of my head, but I know it was in the 70s. So Mika yeah, Five-year deal becomes five the highest-paid uh, highest paid safety in the league right now. And I believe it is 17500000 million a year, $36 million guaranteed. Uh, basically, yeah, of course, they're not going to give me a total, so they're going to make me do math, and I'm not doing math. So I'll give you a total when we talk about it later. But with that said, make it gets back, and he stays Excellent. with Pittsburgh for the foreseeable future. So with that said... Uh, we'll dive into the game one of the Stanley Cup. Kevin, I'm going to let you take the floor on this one. So obviously, Tampa beats New York in six games. Colorado advances relatively early in their series. And of course, now my mind is going to absolutely draw a blank as to who they faced off in the Western Conference. They played the Edmonton Oilers. There you go. It was a so, you know, yeah, no, that's probably why I didn't remember because it went so fast. Um, like Kyle alluded to, this is his team. They go all the way. They're trying to get that three-peat. Uh, Tampa goes down early in this game, and they find a way to claw back. They force OT, but Colorado strikes relatively quick in OT to get a game one victory. So, Kyle, what are your thoughts on Tampa's loss, and you know what does this mean for Colorado moving forward? Well, I thought it was a great game between both teams. Colorado got up to an early lead in the first period, scoring three goals uh, relatively quickly in the in the first period. I thought Colorado's pace was... I mean, it was electric from the beginning of the game, and Tampa was definitely, definitely a half a pace behind in that first period, just because Colorado, when when the Lightning were playing the Rangers, I imagine the Lightning were looking at the Rangers as a pretty fast team, and going into this series, I think you could actually increase uh, the pace that the Colorado Avalanche have compared to what the Rangers have. It really just kind of speaks to just the speed that Colorado has from not only their top line but their back lines as well and I will say to Tampa's credit they were able to bounce back relatively quickly they were able to get a goal in the first period to kind of uh, get the deficit lowered a little bit Colorado scored that third goal uh, before the end of the period put them up three to one but Tampa in the second period came alive getting two goals in the span of like 45 to 50 seconds that tied the game up at three to three and it was relatively just back and forth after that. Both teams were getting pretty good shots back and forth, had some good opportunities. Uh, the game goes into overtime, and the Avalanche get a solid shot off of a Victor Hedman block. 
I forget who set up the pass for Burkowski, but Burkowski just nails it home. Uh, Vasilevsky just couldn't see the the uh, the, the pass. Uh, Colorado had a nice little pick play uh, set up in front of Vasilevsky that definitely blocked his view, but it, it was just a great setup from Colorado uh, that led to that OT winner uh, relatively quickly. I believe that that OT winner was scored within the first minute and a half of that period. It was a great game. Um, you know, looking at it from, we'll start with the Colorado perspective. Uh, Colorado's, they have ho- ho- home ice here. Um, this was a situation where had they lost game one, uh, this would have been a bad look because they pretty much dominated the pace from beginning to end in this game. That's despite the fact that Tampa was able to put three goals up against them. If Had they lost this game, uh, Tampa would have definitely stole this one. And you definitely don't want to have that on home ice knowing when you go up 3-1 and you allow the away team to really make a game of it and really make them earn it. That would have been a bad look for the Avalanche. Fortunately for them, uh, they were able to avoid that in game one as they sit at a 1-0 series lead. Now, the kick to Tampa, uh, Tampa looked slow at first, and it may be a fact of Tampa's playing in Denver. Denver's a mile up. Uh, the elevation is around 5,200 feet, and I think that definitely played a factor early on. Just It didn't seem like... Tampa had their legs underneath them in the first period. Really, Colorado was just flying on all cylinders. But as the game progressed, you could tell that Tampa was adjusting to Colorado's speed and their overall pace. And, you know, like I said just a couple of minutes ago, Tampa was able to tie that game relatively quickly in the second period at 3-3. Three to three. And that was despite the fact that they were kind of laboring with their conditioning in that first third of the game. And then Tampa, I mean, give Vasilevsky credit, had a bad start to the game. Didn't, had some trouble uh, trying to find the puck on some of Colorado's shot attempts, but was able to step up pretty solidly from basically the second to the third period on. And the OT winner that he gave up, it was a rebound off of Victor Hedman. Colorado sets up a good pass, and they nail it home. So, I mean, granted, you know, it's not the best outing for Vasilevsky. He does give up four goals in the process. Um, it's kind of very similar to what happened in game one against the Rangers where he was giving up goals left and right. So I think this is a game where Tampa could look back on giving up three goals in the first period, definitely put them behind the eight ball. But they didn't give up. They rallied. Uh, they made it a game. They forced Colorado into a situation where they kind of were on their heels a little bit, uh, kind of late in the second period. But I got to give Colorado a lot of credit. Uh, they definitely showed some solid resolve uh, going into that OT period, and they were able to capitalize on it. So... um. I don't really take a lot into account for game one. Both teams are trying to figure each other out. I think both are trying to uh, adapt as the series goes along. So both teams are going to make adjustments. Uh, The Lightning, I think, are going to come out a little bit more confident knowing that they were in game one. Um, Just unfortunately for them, uh, they just got a bad rebound and it set it up for a solid play for Colorado to take advantage of. As for the Avalanche, I would just continue the overall pace. Uh, their pace has been electric from beginning to end so far, not just in this series, uh, but their previous series. They are just a fast electric team. They score a lot of goals. They put their opposing team on their heels. And I think as as long as the Avalanche continue to pressure the Lightning and just really press them throughout most of the game, I think it's going to bode well for them moving in this series. But overall, a great start to the Stanley Cup. It's going to be very interesting to see how both teams adjust going the game too. But... Got to give the Avalanche credit. 
definitely were on their heels after the Lightning tied it up 3-3. Three to three. They found a way uh, to get that game one on their side as we transition into the next game of the series. So this is going to be a fun series. That's just how I see it. I'm not even going to lie. I ain't watched the game. Um, Rangers lost, still salty. Hockey's not my thing. Kind of just going to boycott it for a little bit. Just doesn't really resonate with me. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, listen, the Stanley Cup is one of the most beautiful trophies on the face of the planet. I think it's the most beautiful trophy out of all um, really? championship trophies in professional sports. Bro, I love the fact that it's so big. I love the names engraved all through it, all the ch- the championship teams. I love the fact that you skate around the ice, and it's literally like, well, like five feet long or four and a half feet long. It's it's absolutely incredible. And my dad always just admired and collected professional trophies. That's another story for another day. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, obviously, you know, not a big hockey fan. I can't even can't even front, can't even pretend. So Kyle, Kyle, be carrying them segments for a little bit, and uh, I do apologize, partner. No, you're good. I mean, I got it. So it was it was a great game. It was you know back and forth game. Colorado got off to a really hot start. Tampa comes back in the second period, really makes it a game. Third period was really, I would say it was back and forth, but I would kind of give the edge to the Avalanche, just the Avalanche, their pressure and their pace. They got some great shot attempts on Vasilevsky, but to Tampa's credit, they were able to lock it down defensively and keep the Avalanche off the scoreboard in the third period. And and the OT, you know, game winner that Tampa led up, you know, sometimes you just got to give Colorado credit. They took advantage of a rebound set up a perfect pass for, I think this, the guy's name is uh, Borowski. I, I probably screwed up the guy's name, but, you know, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, Tampa showed some resolve after going down 3-1, and, you know, the Avalanche showed some resolve after, you know, almost kind of letting their, their lead slip. Being up 3-1 early on in that game, a little bit tricky when, you know, Tampa scores two goals pretty quickly, and now you're in a situation where you're kind of in a dogfight. So, Give both teams credit. Both teams, I thought, had really good stretches um, in certain elements of the game. But I thought, overall, I thought the Avalanche played a better game than Tampa did. Tampa really played well, I would say, probably for like a period and a half. It's pretty much how I see it. And uh, actually, I I wouldn't even say that. I I would say that Tampa really only played good for like a period. Really, that second period is where they really played well. But I really thought that Colorado dominated the first period, the third period. And the OT was only a minute and a half, so I got to give the edge to them. So just a, a good win by um, Colorado. But you know, we'll see what happens going into game two. Both teams are going to make adjustments. And uh, I think that Tampa is going to come out a lot more aggressive in game two to try to stifle Colorado's speed. So, I, I mean, we've seen this before. Um, Tampa kind of used New York's speed against them. So if you're a young team, you're going to rely on that speed and athleticism to kind of carry you. but Sometimes it doesn't last forever. New York kind of found that out the hard way. They were getting a little tired by the end of the series against Tampa. That could be the case against Tampa with Colorado here, but Colorado's been phenomenal so far. And they're flying on all cylinders after they beat uh, Edmonton in four straight games to get that sweep in the Western Conference Finals. So Colorado's really on a good stretch right now. We'll see what happens going into game two because they could definitely win game two if they play their cards right. I mean, you definitely would have thought at least... With them having that much time off, could have started off slow, could have been sluggish. Seems like it wasn't the case at all. No, and and I think the one thing that, I think this is just kind of a circumstance of what the Lightning are. I wouldn't say that they're necessarily an old team, but 
when you've been to three straight Stanley Cups, I, I think there's a fatigue element that starts to work its way in. It's it's a grind, you know, to get to this point three straight times, and you're going up against a team that's that's younger, that's faster, and is not scared of anything. That's got a chip on their shoulder. That can be tough for Tampa. And Tampa already beat a fast team with the Rangers, so the Rangers kind of pushed them. I mean, hell, I mean, the, the Rangers, you know, had a very good opportunity to possibly seal that series from Tampa. It's just that, you know, New York missed some good opportunities that could have put them in an advantageous situation. But, you know, Colorado can really put Tampa in a bind here if they just continue what they did in game one throughout this series. So, you know, like I said, both teams had really good stretches. The Avalanche had more good stretches, but Tampa had a really good stretch in that second period. They pretty much owned that second period. So, you know, if you're Tampa, you just got to slow their pace down. And if you're Colorado, just continue to fire on all cylinders, use that press of your advantage, and um, or use that pace of your advantage, and press the lightning whenever you get a good chance. So, that's just kind of how I see the series so far. But it's game one. Both teams are still figuring each other out, and adjustments will be made with both teams moving. Yeah, plenty of time. But with that said, uh, we're going to transition to our NBA topics. And the first one we're going to go over is going to be the NBA Finals Game 6 matchup between the Warriors and the Celtics. Uh, just to kind of give you guys an update on where where we stand, uh, Golden State sits at a 3-2 series lead after they won Game 5 at home in San Francisco over the Celtics. Now the, trans- the series transitions back to Boston for Game 6. Uh, Golden State is looking at a situation where they could potentially wrap up this series and claim another championship. Um, their fourth one in probably the last eight years. And then kick it over to the Celtics. The Celtics are on their heels right now, uh, but at least they have home court advantage for game six. Uh, they could make a stand here to possibly push this one to a game seven that would take place back in the chase center for game seven. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you for this game six between the Warriors and the Celtics, do you think that Golden State closes it out? Or do you think that Boston extends this one to a game seven. Oh, personally, I think this is a wrap. I called this series going six. Uh, I did not expect Golden State to win in the fashion that they did in game five, uh, especially as that fourth quarter kind of continued. But I mean, listen, if if I was a betting man, I told Kyle this during the game, I was giving him like play-by-play updates. I called Wiggins going for 25. I was hoping that Poole would have pulled off 20, but he got 14. And then you go and you look at Steph. I said Steph would have a really, really bad night, either 20 points, if not less. Unfortunately, I did say that this game could potentially go to overtime, but Golden State pulled away in the fourth. And I did also call Jalen Brown going for 30, and he only had 18. The point of the matter is, for whatever reason, Boston just absolutely shit the bed in the fourth quarter. The roles were reversed, and Kyle and I were talking about it kind of as it happened. Golden State had a horrible third quarter, but then they turned it on in the fourth, which has been the opposite of the entire series. They've always dominated the third and then kind of slipped up in the fourth, which let Boston claw their way back into the game. And in two of those games, Boston was able to come back and win. Jason goes for 27. Jalen goes for 18. Marcus Smart goes for 20. I mean, you know, your big players were able to produce those numbers. But again, I look at the box score and I say, well, what about the rest of the Celtics? You go and you look at Al Horford, nine points. Robert Williams, not a score, but he was able to go out there and give you 10 points and eight rebounds. So you can't be mad at Robert because, you know, he is limited and is still playing with a bum knee. But you look at the bench, 
Grant with three. I, dude, De- Derek White only had one point. <laughs> Peyton Pritchard had no points. Peyton Pritchard didn't. He played five minutes. Yeah, he had no points. So they literally ran a very tight ship. They ran a seven-man rotation, and everybody that wasn't a starter wasn't able to contribute. And again, it's just very, very weird to me that this flip-flopped in terms of in the second half. And then, of course, you look at Golden State. Draymond Green didn't go out there and give you 15 points. He was able to at least get you eight, but where he thrived, which was where Draymond needs to, seven, seven rebounds, six assists, he had a steal, a defensive presence. He did foul out again, but he was able to kind of keep his composure and do what it is he needed to do. Steph Curry goes for 16. Clay goes for 21. Wiggins for 26. Uh, Gary Payton, the second, was massive with 15. And I mean, like I said, man, everybody was able to contribute that actually played meaningful minutes outside of Kavon Kavon Looney, who had his worst game of the series, and he only had two points. But Golden State did what they needed to do. They showed that when Steph wasn't able to perform, they got it. If Steph fell short, the teammates picked him right up. If Andrew Wiggins is out here giving you back-to-back games of 12, 13-plus rebounds a game and giving you 18-plus points in the last two games, Andrew Wiggins is going to be a consistent go-to player at that mid-range position and someone that, that gets the ball in transition. Jordan Poole already leads that second unit. Clay Thompson, over the last couple of games, has found his rhythm to a certain extent, shooting 50% from the field in two of those games. So you look at it and you say, well, this is... This is boating like Golden State is kind of hitting that rhythm. They're hitting that that stride right now to where you say, if they don't close this out, I have faith that they can close it out in seven because of how consistent they've become in the last two games. Again, in their two victories. Um, my biggest concern is just the fact of Golden State is known to turn the ball over. This is their best game, arguably all postseason. They only had six turnovers. That is perfection that is as close to perfection as you're going to get at this late in the season and I think that that shows and speaks volume to the fact that they were able to limit those turnovers now the negative part is they didn't shoot the ball well 22 percent from three that's not going to happen again they were just off Steph did not make a single three and he took nine of them Steph's not going to have another game like this Kevon Looney is not going to have another game where he only has what four rebounds no shot. Draymond Green is hopefully going to gain his confidence, and they're going to continue to see this go and right the ship. I think this ends in Boston. I think Golden State hoists up that fourth trophy, and Steph Curry will be hoisting up that finals MVP trophy. I think it's over. Well, I'm, a, I'm kind of in a similar sentiment with you about Golden State winning the finals. I'm just saying it's not going to happen in Game 6. I think Golden State will get that in Game 7. But I am picking Boston for this game. And I think Boston actually has a pretty good blueprint to work with, despite the fact that they lost game five on the road in San Francisco. When I look back at game six specifically, or game five, excuse me, Boston did a great job forcing the ball out of Steph's hands and allowing other guys to get opportunities to knock down shots. Now, granted, Boston's going to have to live with the fact that Andrew Wiggins probably popped off. Probably had the playoff game of his life, scoring 26 points. I got another great performance with rebounding the basketball. I think in the last two games combined, I think he's had 30 rebounds. He had 17, I think, in game four. 
Then he had 13 in game five. So Andrew Wiggins has really kind of stepped up in a big way for Golden State the last couple of games. I think he cools off a little bit. I think that that environment in Boston is going to be very hostile against Golden State. I think that Golden State is going to feel the pressure a little bit. And I think Boston is going to force Golden State into a situation where they turn the ball over consistently. I think this is a game where Boston's defense, they'll definitely ratchet it up and they're going to force Golden State to probably have a game where they're going to have double-digit turnovers in this game. When I look at Game 5 specifically, it's like Kevin outlined. Boston had a great third quarter. I mean, they outscored Golden State in that quarter by 11 points, 35-24. to But Boston just couldn't knock down any shots in that fourth quarter consistently. Golden State was able to take advantage of that and power through Boston in that regard. When I look back at game five specifically, I really think that Jordan Poole hitting that buzzer beater three at the end of the third quarter really damaged Boston because I just am of the mindset that Golden State was able to kind of carry that momentum after Poole hit that buzzer beater three. That just kind of carried them through the fourth quarter and led them to that game five win. I think in this game, I think what we're going to see is something very similar to what we've seen in the past. I think Golden State will have a good third quarter in game six, but I think they're going to fall off in the fourth because I think Boston is going to really tighten up defensively and they're going to force the ball out of Steph's hands and they're going to force guys like Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, and um, maybe Andrew Wiggins to possibly beat them. Now, granted, it worked against Boston in game five because Andrew Wiggins had a relatively good game. Jordan Poole, Gary Payton the second, uh, Clay Thompson had solid games. I just don't think that Golden State is going to be able to replicate the success that they had in Game Five, going into Game Six. So I think Boston is going to do solid here. I think Jason Tatum is going to be solid in this game. Their backs are up against the wall, so I wouldn't be surprised if Jason goes alpha mode here and tries to get a thirty-five point performance. I think Jalen Brown's going to have another solid performance where I think he puts up around 20 to 25. I mean, to me, when I look at Boston's role players, they're going to have to step up huge here. Uh, They're going to have to get another solid performance from Marcus Smart. He had a solid game in game five, scoring 20 points. But you got to have better performances from guys like Derek White and maybe guys like Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams. I mean, Derek White only scoring one point in 21 minutes in game five is not going to cut it. And Derek White's been very solid and good stretches for Boston, not only just this NBA Finals matchup, but throughout the postseason as well. If he's able to get into a good rhythm, knocking down some three-point shots, I think that will set up Boston pretty well here. But one of the guys that I've failed to mention is Al Horford. Al Horford, outside of game one, has relatively been non-existent. And I've mentioned this about Al Horford before. Horford will have that one game where he... Puts a team on his back, and he carries Boston to the promised land. There was that one game uh, that took place in the second round when they were playing the Milwaukee Bucks where he just put the team on his back and carried them. And very similar situation took place in the finals here in game one where he was just knocking down three-pointers left and right. And since then, he's been mediocre at best, or he's just been spotty. I think spotty is probably a better description of what Al Horford's been since game one, they're going to have to get 10 to 15 points from Al Horford um, just because his his production on the offensive side has just been kind of lacking since that game one. But overall, when I look at just 
how I think this game is going to play out. Boston's going to tighten up defensively. They're going to force Golden State to turn the ball over. Like I said, Golden State's going to turn the ball, ball over at least 10 times, if not more than that. And I think they're going to get solid production from Jason. I think Jason's going to go God mode. I think Jalen's going to have a solid game, not just on the offensive side, but on the defensive side as well. And I think Derek White, I think he comes back after that dreadful game five performance. And I think he goes out and scores in double figures. And I could say the same thing for Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart, I think he's going to have a solid game as well. But I got Boston winning this one. I think Boston's actually going to win this one by 10 points, if not more. And I think they're going to force a game seven that would make this series go back to San Francisco. So I think when it's all said and done, I think we got a series going to seven games here. I just hope I'm right, man. It's weird. It's just, I don't know if Boston has the veteran leadership to be able to combat going and losing two in a row. You lost one on your home floor. You give them the home field advantage and go back and win. Now you have to come back and try to basically salvage your season and win at home. And again, Golden State did not shoot very well in that last game, and they still won. Golden State's defense spoke volumes to what they were able to get out in transition because of the careless turnovers that Boston has been known to have, especially from Jason Tatum. He had four by himself. We all know that he is arguably the probably the sloppiest player in this series in terms of turnovers. I mean, I believe he actually acquired, if not as a, a, a turnover or two away from turning over, having the most turnovers in a finals in NBA history, which is just absolutely insane for you to be one of the best players in the NBA at such a young age, but not be able to take care of the basketball. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying Golden State's got confidence. Golden State's got momentum. Steph now knows he does not have to put up 30 for them to win. Mm -hmm. Clay Thompson is getting into some form of a shooting stroke. And then the rest of the supporting cast has been relatively consistent. I mean, I'm not saying Gary Payton II is going to go out there and score 15 again. But, dude, even if it's Otto Porter, Gary Payton II, and another role player off the bench, whether that be Kaminga or Looney, there have been a number of players that have been inserted and have given you solid minutes and good performances. We can't say that about Boston. If Jason and Jalen are not performing and smart, who else is giving you good, good minutes? Who else is giving you good production? Not many people. I just don't think that the inexperience with Boston in this situation is going to do them any favors. And unless somebody goes off for 30, 40 points like a Jason Tatum in game six to uh, to force, I forget what he did. Oh, yeah. So he didn't get swept last year by Brooklyn. He had to score 50 basically in back-to-back games just mm-hmm. to keep their hopes alive. Unless we see that Jason Tatum, I don't think this is going to be possible. I really think Golden State ends up finishing this. As much as I would like this series to go seven because I just want the NBA season to continue, I just don't see Golden State having another bad shooting night with this much momentum. Well, I mean, when I look at Golden State, I mean, the last two games that they won, they won by 10 points. And that, and that's really kind of actually been this series by and large from beginning to end. The team that's won has won every game by double digits. There's not been one game that like came down right to the end. And I think when it comes to this situation, though, for game six, I think Boston's going to be able to just lock down defensively. Steph again. I, I, I think they kind of found a little bit of a blueprint to work with. The only problem is, is if you're going to lock up Steph, it's going to leave guys open for opportunities like Andrew Wiggins, Clay Thompson, and Jordan Poole. So... I think the one thing that they're going to have to manage um, with Steph is, you know, are they just going to solely 
focus their defensive pressure on him and allow those other guys to shoot? Or are they going to give Steph a little bit more space and maybe try to key in on Golden State's role players like Clay, Andrew, and Jordan a little bit more than they did in Game 5? That I think it's really going to come down to what Ime Udoka is going to set up for their defensive strategies. Um, they may get into a situation where you know if they get an, if they get a solid trap on somebody, they they force a kick out, or if they just force a Golden State into a situation where they could force an errant pass and then possibly get a turnover. You know that could work in their favor, but you know the one thing that I can't overlook when it comes to the Warriors is their ability to turn the ball over, and you could say the same thing with Boston too. Oh yeah. It's just that Golden State, when they get sloppy, that's when Boston really kind of takes advantage of it. And, you know, they you can flip an entire game just based off of that. And there have been stretches where Golden State goes cold, especially late in the game, where they're not knocking down shots or they're turning the ball over, and Boston mm-hmm. really kind of cooks them in the fourth quarter. I mean, we saw that in game one. I believe we saw that in game three as well. That was the first game that took, that took place in Boston in this series. But, you know, overall, I think this series is going seven. I think that Boston, despite the fact that they've lost back-to-back games, um, I think they're going to look at a good situation here to force this one to a game seven and, and take this series back to San Francisco. It's just, you know, if, if Boston were to lose this series in game six, they're going to look back at that game four performance and think that that was the one that we let it slip. Because really, they were in the driver's seat in that game four. And, you know, just kind of looking back at that game, you know, Golden State, you know, they just they just kept humming in that second half where, let's face it, Boston in the fourth quarter of that game four fell apart. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I got Boston winning game six just because I, I picked Golden State in seven, so I just kind of want the series to go seven games. Kind of similar to what Kevin was saying, but... Overall, I, I think we're in for, for a good game, but I think it's going to be no, another double-digit win. Every game of the series has been that way, whether it's been Golden State or Boston. And, and I think it's going to be more of the same in this one. So, But I got Boston winning it and extending it to a Game 7. But um, I, w- I wouldn't mind seeing Jason go for 50, or Jalen and Jason go for 30-something a pop. Yeah, I, I think Jason is going alpha in this one. I really do think so. I think he's going for at least 30. I, I think he's gonna. Put I just, I just, I just hope. Again, this is when I talk about worrisome moments for Golden. Excuse me for Boston. Jason gets into these mindsets of he's got to be the one to save them when they get into deficits, and he has not shot particularly well in long stretches. He shot fifty percent from the field in this game previously. If he starts to not be able to hit, if he goes 3 for 11, 5 of 18 or something like that, and we're talking about this is a single-digit game in the fourth quarter, those bad shots that he takes to try to bring them back within a a closer deficit are going to be the reason why I think Boston is going to fold because Jason doesn't know. I'm off. I I got a great number two right next to me. I got somebody that can hit shots. Marcus Smart can hit shots. Like, you're, it's not just you. And I think that he needs to learn how to trust his teammates and let them make shots for him if he's having an off day. It's another thing when you're open. It's another thing if you have a mismatch like Steph or Jordan Poole on you and you have to take advantage of that. But when you come down the floor, you get a quick screen, you take a shot with 18 on the shot clock, 
or you kind of take a a couple of dribbles here and there and you try to try to make somebody move or miss, that's when you look at him and say, he still has to learn. You're literally at the precipice of elimination. You need to learn. It ain't me tonight. I'm not going to be the reason why we lost this game. And, and you know what? We could, we could look at it this way. Jason's 24 years old. Right. You know, Jason, you know, to his credit, has gone to an NBA Finals relatively early in his career. Excellent. And I, I, I got to give him credit for that just because, you know, to, to basically be the leader of the team at such a relatively young age and you have a good supporting cast around you. I mean, look, th- there, there's pressure that comes with, you know, being the leader. There, there's an expectation that's placed upon, you know, being the leader of the team to go out there and perform at a high level. But, you know, when it comes to an NBA Finals and, you know, the pressure's really on, when you haven't been in this situation before, it's tough, especially when you're only 24 years old. I mean, when we look at Steph, Steph was how old when the Warriors went to their first Finals? Was he like 25? 2015, he's 34 now. So we're talking that was seven years ago. 27, so 27. 20, 27 or something like that, 26, 27? Yeah, so, I mean, oh, granted, you know, I would say that they're kind of like within a similar age of what, you know, both of what Jason is now compared to what Steph was back then when he got to his first finals. But, you know, I mean, overall, I think Boston has a really good rotation. that they're And I, I, I think you're right. I think this might be a situation where if Jason's just not playing well, he's going to have to rely on his teammates to be able to knock down shots effectively. And I think that Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Derek White, and Hal, Al Horford, when given the right opportunities, can really be a great team around Jason in this case. It just depends on whether or not that Jason can, can knock down shots consistently. And I do think that, I think Boston from the get-go in game six is going to give Jason the ball and they're going to get him ample space to be able to knock down shots. I think they're going to make that a point of emphasis. Like, we need to get Jason in good space to be able to knock down shots consistently. And I think if Jason gets out to a good start, I think it's going to work in their favor. So OG's got to step up, though. Al Horford can't be having no single-digit performances. No. I'm not, not going to go out I've there been and say that. he's having I've been a Draymond saying, series. I've been, I've been saying he's that. He's got to do it. I've been saying that like Al Horford will have this big game where he takes the court by storm and then, and then goes he disappears. Out. And goes, yeah, it's like the last three games, I think he's basically scored, I think, every game since game one, I think it's been in single digits for him. Just about, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. So they're they're gonna have to get better for they're gonna have to get better production from it. So, but overall, I think it's gonna be an exciting game six. Oh yeah, you know, takes place Thursday night. So I know uh, both Kevin and I will be watching pretty uh, pretty intensely. So we'll be looking yeah. at the end of the regular season here, or end the uh, not the end of the regular season, uh, the end of the NBA finals, and uh, who knows? But we could get one more game, get one more. So. But I have no problem with the series going seven games. No problem. Not at all. Whatsoever. I don't think anybody does, except for a Golden State fan. Yeah. They want this wrapped up in six. Oh, I they want I, this done. I, I, they, they would take, you know, winning that one on the road any day of the week. 100%. I'd say what, game seven. Game seven haven't necessarily worked out in their favor in the NBA Finals. So I think I, they vividly remember game seven. It's the Cavs being up 3-1. What a game, though. But uh, with that said, uh, we're going to keep keep the next topic kind of within the same realm. 
of uh, the teams within the NBA Finals, but we're going to focus specifically on Steph Curry. So uh, for this next segment, we're going to focus on what Shaquille O'Neal said on first take just a couple days ago about Steph Curry's status as potentially a top 10 player in NBA history. Um, Shaq stated that he believes that Steph Curry is basically in like his own separate category when it comes to just lethal shooters. Steph has been one of the most prolific three-point scorers. I honestly make the case that he's the greatest shooter that the NBA has ever seen. Uh, he revolutionized the game with his ability to knock down shots behind the three-point line so consistently uh, from the beginning of his career up until now. He's just been a monster. He's already won three titles, could potentially win his fourth title on Thursday night if the Warriors were to beat the Celtics. But Shaq is of the mindset that Steph is basically at as a top 10 player of all time or is really close to it. So, uh, Kevin, to kick this one to you, do you believe that Shaquille O'Neal is right to say that Steph Curry is essentially a top 10 player of all time in NBA history? I absolutely do. And again, before anybody chops this up, these are all opinionated conversations. If you don't believe it, that's fine. If you disagree with it, that's fine. I'm speaking for myself here. Based on the lists of multiple sources, I have seen based on the list that I have in my own mind. And I'm just going to use ESPN because they talked about the, the top 75 players of all time and they ranked them personally within their website. I'm going to read it from 10 to 1. Shaquille O'Neal, arguably the most dominant player in basketball history. Kobe Bryant, the second coming of Michael Jordan, five-time NBA champion, rest in peace. We then have... Of course, now my computer wants to lag. Tim Duncan, arguably the greatest power forward of all time. Then you move into seven. Larry Bird, one of the most iconic players in NBA history, the greatest Celtic, depending on who you ask of all time. Wilt Chamberlain, the man that scored 100 points in a game, the man that averaged 30 points per game throughout his entire career and 23 rebounds. Magic Johnson, the greatest point guard of all time, Showtime Lakers, five-time champion. Bill Russell, the most decorated champion in NBA history, 11 times, all-time great Celtic. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all-time NBA scoring leader, multiple-time champion. Then you go into LeBron James, four-time NBA champ, top four in NBA scoring, arguably the second best player to ever play the game of basketball other than Michael Jordan, who is, of course, rounding out the number one, the GOAT. His his airness, six-time NBA champion, six-time finals MVP. Everybody knows MJ's record. Everybody knows what he means to the sport. But that's ESPN's top 10. In my personal opinion, if Steph Curry gets his fourth ring, it ties him with Braun, got more rings than Larry. He's got the same amount of rings as Shaq, one short of Kobe. You know what I'm saying? There, there's plenty of players on this list in which you can you can look at him and say, all right, he's got hardware to match it two-time MVP, multiple-time All-Star, all-time three-point make, all-time most threes made, most threes made in the playoffs, most threes made in the finals. We're talking about the greatest shooter of all time. When you talk about a top 10, you have to think about some of the greatest position players ever. Shaq was the most dominant center of all time. Michael Jordan was the greatest shooting guard of all time. LeBron James is the greatest small forward of all time. 
Larry Bird is in there for one of the best small forwards of all time. But if I had to make a substitution, if I had to take somebody out, I potentially would say this is no shade or disrespect. I think Bill Russell might have to step out. Bill Russell played in an era in which they won 11 chips. They were the most dominant team in the league. They didn't have a whole lot of teams in the NBA back then. They didn't have a whole lot of talent outside of Bill Russell and the Celtics in terms of dominance. They did not have people of his size and magnitude to which he was dominating the boards. And besides, he's only a 15-point-per-game average scorer. I understand that hardware speaks volume, and that's the biggest argument that we talk about against Braun and Jordan. But if we're talking about this, we're talking about two different eras, two different time periods. Steph Curry is playing in a very complex league to where the three-point shot has become arguably the most important scoring platform in the sport today. Steph Curry's also played in the era in which there are multitudes of Hall of Famers throughout his entire career. Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. I mean, just, just, just to name a few people that he's played against and with. Kyrie Irving. I, the, the list is truly endless. Like The talent that Steph has had to go up against. And again, if he was to win this fourth ring... I think that puts him in because he was able to do this again without Kevin Durant. Because the narrative for a lot of people was, well, you know, the first ring didn't count because all of the injuries. The second and third rings didn't necessarily count because KD carried him. This team has been good before KD. And if we're going to talk about a bunch of what ifs, there have been plenty of playoff runs that should not count. I mean, should Boston be here right now considering all the injuries that they had to go through? Chris Middleton wasn't available. Obviously, Jimmy Butler was playing on a banged-up knee. Uh, You can play the what-if game all day. You still have to win the basketball game to get to the platform and then, of course, win the championship. Steph Curry is literally one of the most influential and iconic players in NBA history. And I believe he rightfully deserves a spot on this list because he's done it all. And he's also kept his nose clean through his entire career, not a trash talker, very calm and quiet individual, has played on the same team. I mean, come on now. All the players that are on this list outside of Michael haven't really... Oh, never mind. I can't even say that because Kobe did it too. In terms of playing for one team and winning championships on one team, Tim Duncan did it also. So disregard that statement. But I mean, realistically, I don't see why Steph can't be on this list if you have the greatest passer of all time on the list, the greatest big of all time on this list, the the greatest player of all time on this list. Why not have the greatest shooter? Steph Curry is consistently breaking records in and out every single year. And he's carried his team throughout this entire playoff run at the age of 33-34. Steph Curry deserves a spot, man. Now, it depends on who you want to remove. I've given my opinion. Kyle, who you got, man? Is Steph Curry an all-time top 10 player in the league? Um, Yeah, the way that I look at it, I would have to put him in my top 10. And the reason why is, is I, he revolutionized the game at basically at a similar level to what I think like Michael Jordan did. I'm not saying like, like I'm not saying that Steph Curry's impact is bigger than what Michael Jordan did to the game of basketball, but just the way that the game is played, that's where, you know, Steph took the game to a new level with the way that he was able to revolutionize it by the way that he just knocks down three point shots because now everybody's chucking up threes and Steph was really the catalyst 
that brought that to, to the forefront. And not only in this generation, but for generations after Steph has, you know, retired and gone from the NBA. I'm not going to take as long uh, as Kevin so eloquently put. Um, the way that I see the top 10 is, is very similar to what Kevin outlined. When I look at Steph as just an individual player, his overall legacy, he's a phenomenal player. He's by far and away the greatest shooter of all time. And people are saying this, and I, you know, I could say this you know, pretty confidently. He's still playing, and people are already ga- basically giving him his roses by saying, no, not only is he like the best like three-point shooter that we've ever seen, he's the greatest shooter that we've ever seen. And Steph is still relatively in his prime. I mean, granted, he is 33, 34 years old, but the way that he plays the game, he could play at this level for the next four to five years, potentially even six years. So, you know, you're talking about an element of greatness that has that could potentially extend, you know, beyond a decade since he won his first NBA title, which was around 27 years old. I mean, the guy is phenomenal. He's a three-time champion. He could potentially be a four-time champion if Golden State were to win Game 6 in Boston on Thursday. He could potentially win his first NBA Finals MVP if Golden State were to win this series over Boston. And to me, when I look at the best players of this generation, I think he's basically right alongside LeBron James at this current moment in time. And I know that we always look at LeBron James as essentially the guy that's basically running and gunning for the greatest player of all time in Michael Jordan. But when I look at Steph Curry, Steph's impact for this generation is by far and away bigger than what LeBron is. I think LeBron, just his overall impact to the team that he's on, that's why he's always regarded as one of the greatest players who's ever lived because LeBron, for eight straight years, went to an NBA Finals. You know, Steph hasn't done that. That's where I think LeBron kind of gets the nod over Steph just because I think LeBron had just that era of longevity of making the finals every year. The guy's been to 10 NBA finals. Steph hasn't gotten anywhere near that yet. But where Steph makes it up is his ability to knock down three-point shots, his ability to create space essentially effortlessly, and he transformed and revolutionized the game in a way that nobody has ever seen before. So, I mean, granted, we've had great NBA players in the past. I mean, Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time. LeBron James is one of the greatest players that we've seen, not only in this generation, but of all time. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you could make a case that he could potentially be the greatest player of all time. And then when you have guys like Magic, Larry Bird, Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, Shaq, I mean, all of these guys are in rarefied air that have all made their individual impacts to the game of basketball and made it for the better. Steph is definitely one of those players. And, I mean, to me, no matter if Golden State wins or loses this series uh, against Boston in the finals, I think it's safe to say that Steph is well-deserving of being in the top 10 of the greatest basketball players who ever lived. And granted, you know, it really kind of depends on who you ask. If you tell somebody who's like 30 years older than me, uh, they may have a completely different list. They wouldn't even have LeBron James in this top 10 list. But, you know, from how I see it, I'm 27, so I, I didn't get to watch Michael Jordan. I didn't get to watch Larry Bird, uh, Magic, 
scream like when they were actually playing but i always give respect to those players that you know came before my time i always give respect to those guys because they were able to push the game forward uh before i was even alive but i think when we look at someone like steph i think steph has proven that he deserves to be in that top 10 list of all time i mean to be anywhere near this list of top time uh, of top 10 greatest players who have ever played the game i mean if you were top 20 i i i mean you're talking about literally like a millionth percentile of the nba players that have come and have come and gone through the league so the fact of the matter is is that steph is in this conversation it's really a testament to how good of a player he is and you know, just to kind of wrap this up, I, I, I do think that Steph um, will go down as not only the, the greatest shooter of all time, I think he will go down as one of the top 10 players who have ever played the game. I mean, again, it, it all depends on who you ask. It depends on, you know, what the context of the conversation is. Everybody that's on the list deserves to be there. Um, and again, no one's saying that he is definitely in it or that he is four oh, or three. I am. No, but I'm saying, I'm saying no one is saying he's, top five no one is saying that he is you know he's he's broken that upper echelon even if he's 11 or 12 like kyle said the the fact of the matter is if he's in that conversation to be in that realm that's a hall of fame career in and of itself i've i've got a question for you i know this is a little bit of a tangent do you believe we like tangents here i know we tend to do those do you believe that lebron james is the second greatest player of all time I do. Over Kareem. I do. Why? Longevity. Um, Kareem had longevity. I'm saying, I'm answering the question. Longevity, what he's been able to do for multiple franchises, bringing championships to everywhere he's gone. I think with him being in the top 10 of rebounds, assists, points per game, I mean, the man is going to break Kareem's record at the pace that LeBron is going. So we're talking about he will eclipse a, a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the one record that no one thought was possible to be broken. He has more championships than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He has more MVPs. I mean, if you're looking at hardware whoa, whoa, and overall impact... Wait, 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 wait. Say that again? How many titles? Four. I thought Kareem only had three because he had one more Milwaukee and he came at the end of Showtime. Kareem has six finals. Correction to me, I I thought he only caught the tail end of or the beginning of Showtime because of his age. So I I retract my statement previously. So outside of championships, which I do not think LeBron is going to get another one for the remainder of his career, just because just isn't happening. um, He has a lot of those other hardware pieces as well, as well as a lot of other statistical pieces that you can look at and say, well, you know what? Damn. LeBron James has also been known to play solid defense for the earlier half of his career. Not that Kareem hasn't, but LeBron was that person that you could say, if LeBron played center at one point because of a defensive situation or foul trouble, LeBron can guard four or five. At least he used to be. LeBron was an impactful player off the court. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of what LeBron James has brought to the game and what he has done. And the consistency to what he's been able to do, minus the last couple of years with injury, I mean, at, at the age 38, he scored 30 points per game. That is absolutely insane. 
you know, and I, I think that that that's why he is going to be known as a top three NBA player of all time. But for me, I definitely would agree that he, excuse me, I would say that for sure he's the second greatest player of all time. And I apologize for the error. I don't know why I swore Kareem did not have six. I, I definitely did not see that. Because here's the thing. I, I'm going to be honest with you. People have made the argument before that Kareem is the greatest basketball player who's ever lived. Now, granted, I don't see it that way. I see it as Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan revolutionized the game unlike anybody that came before him. It's not, it's not a slight on Kareem. Kareem's was amazing. And the fact that right. it matters is, is that when Kareem retired, <clears throat> Kareem retired in 89, and he was you know, the point leader for potentially almost 35 years. Nobody eclipsed that record. Even Michael Jordan couldn't eclipse that record. And even with the integration of the three-point line, nobody was able to eclipse Kareem until probably LeBron will break that record, you know, barring some sort of catastrophic injury from LeBron where he's not able to surpass that record. But I'm of the mindset that LeBron will. But, you know, I look at someone like Kareem. He's got six titles. He's won six MVPs. Six MVPs, that's impressive. I think Jordan has only won five MVPs in the regular season. I think Jordan won yeah. all. I think Jordan won all six Finals MVPs in, in all of his Finals appearances. Yeah, no, he 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 got six because he all of them. Yeah, damn, I also made the wrong statement of uh, saying that Kareem had less uh, MVPs. I thought I thought Braun had him with four. Damn, I need to go back and study because I'm and, out here making and, mad and, mistakes. And, 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 and not only that, when I look at Kareem. Kareem, like on the NBA All-Defensive team, he he was voted, if you combine the first team and uh, the second team, he was an NBA defensive team player 11 times. I think LeBron was six. LeBron has six altogether. Now, the one thing w- that LeBron has him in is uh, finals MVPs, and I believe he has him in NBA All-First teams. I think Kareem was a 10-time NBA First team. I think LeBron is... 13. Isn't LeBron also like a 17-time All-Star or something like that? He is an 18-time All-Star. Kareem was 19. Wow. But I do believe that LeBron will, will break that as well. I think, I think LeBron... Or tie it. Yeah, so... I, I, I mean, look. When I look at some someone like Kareem, I think he's somebody that our generation slights because we didn't see him. The guy Respect? had an, had an unbelievable skyhook shot that nobody could defend. It was impossible to defend, and he was a master at it. And on top of that, I mean, granted, like back then, you know, big men were essentially, they, they pushed the league forward. I mean, he was a scoring champion, like within like the first like two to three years of his career. A scoring, t- like a, a scoring champion. What are scoring titles? Like the f- the first like three four years of his career, which is unbelievable, was able to win, um, in multiple places. He won with the Bucks early on in his career, and he won with the Lakers, and was still actually putting up decent numbers, relatively late into his career when he was in his late thirties. Now, granted, I will give the fact that LeBron has more, I would say, more of an effective, uh, production when it comes to scoring compared to Kareem later in in their career. But, I mean, Kareem was extremely proficient 
late into his career. So I got to give the man a lot of respect. And, and I think, I think he's somebody that I think we overlook that our generation overlooks just because dude was a monster back in his day. You don't test necessarily go back to actually see it. I, I mean, you know, for the guy to hold the, the point leader record for almost 35 years, and we've seen some great players come and go and for nobody to eclipse that, that's got to mean something. I, I mean, he's up there. Like, I think a lot of people will either have him two or three all the time. And I would I'll agree. Be, I'll be honest with you. With me, I'm kind of like 50-50 with Braun being number two. I, I, I'm kind of getting to that point. Because I just don't know if Braun's going to be able to get another chip. I don't know. I don't think he's going to get another one, honestly. I think it's a wrap. Unless yeah. AD come out of nowhere next season and average like 25 and 13, and, and we get triple-double Russ. Yeah. It's going to happen? Nope. No, but, I, you know, I, I know this was kind of more of a segment about um, talking about Steph, you know, what what he's done. But, no, like, I, I think when it comes to like the like the top end of this list, you know, I think – we could look at somebody like Kareem going up against LeBron and granted, I know they played in different eras. You know, LeBron, I, I, I would safely say is the better athlete than Kareem. But what Kareem did in his time, it's crazy. Kareem played till he was 42 years old. 42. So, I mean, we I, might see Braun do that too. Don't forget. I mean, the man turns 39 in December. And he says that he wants to play until Bronny's in the league. He very well might play until 40-41. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kareem put in 20 years. And Bron's getting right Bron hits that next year. Yeah. So. Well, not this season coming up. Season next after year, that. It, yeah, it'll be in 2023. But, no, like, when it, when it comes to Steph, I, I mean, just to kind of bring this back full circle with Steph, I, I think it was like I said, uh, a couple of minutes ago. I think no matter what happens in this series against Boston, I think that he's worked his way into the top 10. And I think just solely based off the fact that he he changed the game with how he revolutionized it by the effectiveness of the three-point shot, bro, I, I, I got to give him credit for that. And, you know, the, the more hardware he gets, the more accolades and achievements he gets, it will only bolster his legacy and i mean steph's got another good four to five years left of like prime steph so he I can very steph... well surpass braun with a chip and chips I, I i think so i i i think well if they win this one he would tie him that's what i'm saying i, I think that he can definitely get at least one more before he's done yeah and you know steph did it in one spot you know braun had to go to three separate places to do it. so you know, I know people tend to use that argument of, oh my God, well, wherever he went, they won, which is true. But it kind of depends on how you interpret it. You could look at it like, oh, he had to move around from place to place to be able to do it. Like he, he couldn't just stay in one place and was able to form, you know, a good, well rounded team in one spot to be able to bring multiple championships. Because I think the one thing that you could say about Steph. If Steph were to get his fourth ring and tie LeBron, 
who would you say is, is more impressive? Steph winning all four in one spot or LeBron winning it in three separate places, but having to go to three separate places to be able to do it? I mean, I, I'm going to side with Steph just because he drafted him. You know, his teammates outside of those two KD championships was all homegrown. Um, obviously, you lost two key parts in one of your finals, uh, just like Braun did with Kyrie and K Love. So you can you can make the argument both ways that maybe both of them should have five if Steph wins this one. Yeah. Um, but dude, it's a it's a it's a big toss up, bro. At the end of the day, uh, Braun is gonna have obviously more accolades because he's played longer. But in terms of meaningful championships, Steph did it with the same team. Steph did it on his own, relatively for the majority of this season. And um, I really do think that uh, it speaks volumes and character to take that three-year gap or two-season gap, going through all the injuries, Golden State's on a downward spiral, their window is closed, to come back and, and blow their way through the Western Conference. I think that kind of shows and speaks to, to the type of person that Steph is as a unit, whereas LeBron James has had to leave and attract and or team up with a multitude of players to go out there and win championships. It really just kind of how you see it with LeBron, because you could say, well, it, it's a feather in his cap that he went to multiple places to win NBA championships. And maybe you could say the same thing about Kareem, because Kareem went to multiple places. He went to, he was drafted by the Bucs and then went to the Lakers and, and won championships there. LeBron went to three separate teams and, and won NBA finals where he went. So, yeah, you could kind of, you could kind of look at it separate ways, but. I mean, overall, I mean, we're talking about some of the greatest basketball players who've ever lived. So, and we're kind of, you know, I mean, really, we're splitting hairs here when it comes to. One hundred percent. That's all we're doing right now is like just finding little pieces here. But I mean, overall, I mean, you know, I, I, I think just to kind of end the segment, I think, yeah, Steph should definitely be a top ten player of all time. For sure. That's just how I see it. But with that said, we're going to transition to our last segment, and this is going to be about Kevin's team. So. Kevin is what I would consider a diehard Mavericks fan. He is by far and away right. the the biggest Mavericks fan I've ever met in my life. And um, safe to say, the Mavericks are getting busy in the NBA offseason already. Um, they were able to trade for Christian Wood in a package deal with the Houston Rockets. And Christian Wood uh, has been solid for the Houston Rockets in stretches. He's had a little bit of injury issues throughout his time in Houston. but he is a 6'11 monster down low. He w- could potentially help out Dallas's rim protection moving forward going into next year. And you could look at a situation where Luka would be paired up with Spencer Dinwiddie and Christian Wood on the starting lineup, which if you look at it, three-man rotation wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing for Dallas. But I got to get my, I, I got to get the, uh, I get the take from, diehard Mavericks fan here so Kevin to get this one to you what is your overall take about the Dallas Mavericks trading for Christian Wood Houston Rockets uh point blank period I think we robbed them blind all four players that we traded don't necessarily play for us I mean the best piece that they got is going to be the 26th overall pick I'm not going to sit here and say they can't draft an absolute stud I'm not going to sit here and say that Trey Burke can't go and give you meaningful minutes or slightly backup player minutes, but Boban Marjanovic stood on the bench. Sterling Brown lost a lot of minutes the more he played because of his offensive liabilities. Um, 
Trey Brick lost his uh, bench time. The more that Frank Nilakina played, the more that Jalen Brunson came out, especially after the Spencer trade. And then Marquise Chris was a two-way player that we signed during COVID. They got a multitude of 10-day contracts that we ended up having to sign to a two-year, two-way deal for the next two seasons. So technically, Boba's on the last year of his deal. Sterling's on the last year of his deal. Trey's on the last year of his deal. Marquise Chris is on the last year of his deal. All of them were signed for vet minimum deals outside of Trey Burke. So we alleviated their cap. We relieved four players off of the active roster, and we gave away our, our draft pick for this season. Now, Christian Wood is due $13 million this season, so we will be paying him more by himself than we were paying these four individual players, but he's giving me 18 points and 10 rebounds by himself. He's giving me 50% shooting from the field. He's giving me somebody that can actually go out and be physical and guard and block shots and make a difference in the post and in the paint. He can run the pick and roll and hit those mid-range jump shots that Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba cannot hit. He actually makes a very big difference in the offense because he's somebody that can create for himself and exploit mismatches when he has a guard matched up on him, whereas Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba do not have any form of a post game. So I will go out there on a limb and say that this trade is immediately upgrading this roster significantly, and now it's just a matter of what else we do for the rest of the season. I cannot lie. I have one of those intuitions, one of those gut feelings. We took off a lot of people from the roster. We just alleviated four players off the roster to, uh, to, to acquire one. I have a weird feeling that this trade potentially, I'm not saying I, I've read any rumors. I think that maybe we did this to package him and somebody else to acquire more pieces. Now, I don't necessarily know if that's going to be Christian Wood, Tim Hardaway, and a couple of other p- players and future picks for Boban Marjanovic. Excuse me, Boban Barnjanovic, the, the Utah guy, the guy that missed the shot in game six. Damn it. I can't Bog- get his damn Bogdanovich. name. Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. There you go. Uh, and then, of course, Rudy Gobert has been attached to it. I know that we're trying to go after DeAndre Ayton. I mean, the, the Mavericks are tied to a lot of different free agents this offseason. So, I'm just, again, we could end up keeping him and I'd be absolutely satisfied. I love Christian Wood. I think he's a great player. I think he's very athletic and I think he could do a lot for this team. But I wouldn't be surprised if Nico and Mark are looking at the bigger picture to say, we got some players that are pretty useless off the roster. Now we've brought somebody in that's actually valuable. Maybe we pair him with somebody else to go and get a couple of different players. I don't know. I could be completely wrong, but I just... If I had to put it out of like 100%, I would say like there's like 20% of me, maybe even 25% that would say that I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Cuban were to package him up uh, for, for, for a couple of other players. But I do like the trade. I think it's great, and I think it's an immediate upgrade. I like the fact that you went that route, though. Like, this was essentially the trade to set up a bigger trade. Like, <laughs> I, that's kind of interesting. I, I didn't really think about that because I was basically of the impression that Christian Wood would just be on the roster going into next year. But, I, I mean, so, like, let's take the, the hypothetical scenario of you know, Christian Wood um, possibly being involved in a bigger trade package that could include the likes of Tim Hardaway himself and then maybe one other player for, essentially, like DeAndre Ayton, Rudy Gobert, maybe somebody else that we don't necessarily know off the top of our heads. You said like a 25% chance that that could potentially be in, in my stomach, you know, not, not anything that I've read. Just, it's, it's just too weird to give off four players on a 15 man roster and have Jalen Brunson, a free agent 
and the rest of our starters that are bigs are rumored to be either released or traded this offseason. It's just it's just really, really weird that we went out and got another big when we have two active ones on contract and a lot of other players that we have to pay a lot of money to. Because my thing is, if you guys were to trade for somebody, like what has been like the one name that has been constantly uh It's rumored? been Rudy, sadly. Now, like would you prefer Rudy over DeAndre? Or would you prefer DeAndre over? I'll take Rudy? I'll take Aiton over Rudy all day because Rudy is a, an offensive liability outside of an alley oop and a layup. Rudy can maybe hit the occasional ten footer, but he also can hit free throws. DeAndre Ayton can hit eighteen footers. DeAndre Ayton can hit corner threes when needed. DeAndre Ayton can shoot efficiently from the field. He's a great pick and pop player, and he's very selfless. Rudy Gobert is already a cancer in the locker room. Like I do not want that head back, that basket case. I understand, but you have to understand that you know DeAndre is going to be getting a back. Oh, 100%, but he's not getting $40 million a season. There's not a chance. Rudy's making 41 this year, 43 next year. I don't think DeAndre's going to get that. I can see DeAndre getting like 30, 35, though. I'm not denying that. That's still $6 million in cap space that we can provide somewhere else. Now, you, you did mention something, because we were kind of texting back and forth um, when the trade initially went down. You were mentioning something about Jalen. You said something about Jalen would like essentially be off your books. I didn't know what you meant by that. Luca's due 36. Spencer's due like 18. Obviously, you also have Bertans that's due 16. Dwight Powell's due 11. Maxie's due like 8 or 9. You, Christian's now due 13. You're running out of space here. Jalen's getting 20 to 25. You got to figure out what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Tim Hardaway's also owed 18, 19 million dollars as well. Now that he's coming back you got to fill those roster seats in those, those spots can you afford to give Jalen 20 to 25 and not fill up the rest of the bench I mean if Mark is willing to pay the luxury then so be it I really don't give a shit it's not my checkbook but if the rumors are true and we're looking to acquire a massive big or somebody that is going to be impactful immediately not that Christian won't but let's be honest that's not the name that anybody thought and if this is the only move that we make I'm pissed as shit because I hope to God we don't stop at this point, and say, this is our big of the future. I would not mind him being our four and then going out and getting another big. But for this to be it, I'm not settling that. And that's another reason why I think that Mark potentially could go and move on with Christian for somebody else so that we can re-sign Jalen or package a couple of other players to acquire somebody else. Because like to me, like the way that I could potentially see it is I think they're gonna have a tough time letting Jalen go. I think they're gonna have a difficult time. I think what they're going to do is that they're gonna form some sort of trade package that's gonna be involved with Tim Hardaway, maybe Bertans, and maybe a couple draft picks. Get those two off your books. Now you have to find a team that'd be willing to make that trade. Willing to eat that, yeah, because that's over thirty million dollars between the two of them. If you can get some team to buy into Tim Hardaway and maybe Bertans clear some cap space, maybe like some draft picks, then at least you'd have the cap space to be able to work in Jalen for next year. I I think if you guys are able to keep Jalen, a game changer. I agree I, completely. I, I think it's a game changer because I think he's that guy that, I mean, look, 
their rotation right now, if if Christian Wood were on the roster next year, would be Luca. I'll just throw Christian Jaylen. in there. Jalen, Spencer, and then Dorian and Maxi at the five. No, we start Dwight and we put Maxi in relatively quickly within the first four or five minutes per game. But in terms of starting wise, it would be Luca, Jalen, Dorian, Wood, Powell. Bad, bro. That's not bad. It's awful. Get Dwight Powell the fuck out of there. I I think they got to put Spencer starter. Can't, man. We need people to help off the bench. That was our biggest reason why we got him to lead the second unit. Rain over Spencer, though? Yes, because Dorian Finney-Smith is one of the best perimeter defenders statistically in the NBA. All right. One-on-one matchups on the top players that he has guarded throughout the league, they have shot under 40% when guarded by Dorian Finney-Smith in the regular season. Getting some open threes he can't knock down, though. He shot 39% from three this year. What do you mean? Not in the playoffs. He's not an offensive person. If he hits a couple of shots here and again, I didn't need him to score 20. If he gave me 12 to 15 with some blocks and some steals, I'm good off that. That man led the postseason up until we got eliminated in minutes played behind Reggie Bullock. God. Oh, that's right. Reggie's on the damn team. Christian Wood might actually play the five, believe it or not. We'll see. I mean, it's your team, so you know this team a lot better than I do. But yeah, if we if we well Reggie's I, that's what I'm saying. Reggie's also do a good amount of money too. He's do like ten or eleven million. I totally forgot he's on the team. So that might be Luca JB, Reggie Dorian Woods. That's not bad. Got some good defenders. Got some good scores. Got a big that can rebound. I I wouldn't be mad at that. I I, I think you guys are still going to be active. Awesome. I think oh, I think I there's just, gonna be we, we we better be, bro. We need to fill the roster. We just gave up four players. I, I think you guys are, are are I'm not opposed to the idea that you guys are setting up for something big. I, I I'm not it's opposed possible, to bro. It. It's really it's really, really weird, bro. I have no idea. Well, I saw the trade. I don't know what it is that I just had that weird anticipation in my stomach that said Mark, more what are you doing? Yeah, like like this is this is like one of those read between the lines, like first step of many. I don't know why. Again, I'm not mad at it. I like Christian Wood. I think he's great, and I think he would fit the system very well. And I think he would feed off of Luca in the pick and roll in more ways than one. Or he could potentially be used as trade capital. And again, if that's what it is, that better be a big ass name, and we better have a plan for 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 the cap space. That's going to be an issue because the only trade packages that w- have been linked to us were Zach Levine, who has confirmed via rumors that he is going to re-sign with Chicago for upwards of two hundred million dollars, Rudy Gobert, and then DeAndre Ayton, who's chasing thirty five plus million dollars a season, and he was just linked to Atlanta the the last couple of days. Ew. We'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting to kind of see how this whole... It's going to be a good summer. But if you had to put a grade on the Christian Wood trade, like what, what would you a plus. put it? A plus. We won the trade, bro. It's not even close. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, this, hey, this, this is your segment, bro. So I had my segment with, with the Lightning and the Avalanche earlier. Like this was a, this is a segment that I just wanted to devote just for you because you know this team far better than I do. But um, I 
think, you know, with that said, Kev, I think we've got all of our topics knocked out. Unless you could think of anything else. Um, anything else you want to bring mm-hmm. up? No, that's that's pretty much everything. I mean, like we had mentioned with Minka Fitzpatrick, he signs a $73.9 million deal, four-year extension to stay with Pittsburgh. Obviously, Pittsburgh goes out and re-signs their two best defensive players in the last couple of years with TJ Watt and Minka in the secondary. So that defense looks to be continuously dominant, to say the least. And, uh, you know, the guy that gets the guy from Alabama that was drafted to Miami that forced his way out gets the money that he wants and rightfully deserves. And I feel that uh, Pittsburgh, if they can get their offense together and figure out if Pickett is going to be that man of the future, I feel that uh, they can continue to make some noise in that AFC North now that, you know, they have some key players on the defensive side of the ball locked up. Yeah, fair enough. But um, I mean, with that said, I mean, that pretty much wraps it up for us. Uh, Kev, do you want to take this one out from here? Yes, sir. Uh, Guys, as always, thank you so much for the support. Uh, We will see what happens tomorrow. If Golden State wins, I will not be home tomorrow. I'll be watching the game with the the missus and her family. So if I can get home at a reasonable time, which probably won't happen because the game's not going to end until damn near midnight, if not after. Uh, I wanted to do a segment, but again, we'll see what happens. We'll try to put something out before the weekend if we can, just to kind of celebrate whoever ends up winning and if Golden State closes it out. If not, We'll be ready to talk about the NBA Finals for Game 7 at some point this weekend. But uh, again, you know, thank you guys for everything, and we'll be seeing you guys over the weekend. All right, guys. Uh, I, I got nothing more left to say other than appreciate you guys uh, tuning in once again, and uh, uh, we'll see you guys later. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. No more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business, spanning over four decades, and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour.